Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We're in Matthew chapter 25 today, and, and we're going to look at Easter a little bit different. I was, I was on, a, on the phone with a friend of mine from Canada yesterday, and uh, he, said what I didn't, he said growing up in the church, he said what I didn't like about Easter, he said what I didn't like about Easter, what is it? It was the same message every Easter. And that's especially true for people that only go to church once or twice a year. So I kind of like to try to break things up a little bit, try things a little different. So we're going to look at Easter from a, a slightly different angle, and, and so... Uh, Matthew chapter 25, still in that last week uh, of, of, of Jesus' life. And what's more, obviously Jesus knew what was coming. And so his final words in that final week were very choice and select, very pointed. Contrary, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago uh, 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 that, that I enjoy the history of, well, frankly, I enjoy the history of, of pirates. It's not, some, uh, uh, it's not that I'm into guns. I'm into, I'm into the, the flintlocks and the wheel locks and the, and the pirate weapons. Likewise, uh, I, I love pirates. I mean, the only book I've ever written had to do with pirates. Uh, in a similar way, I, 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 love long, I love Treasure Island, one of my favorite books. Um, I enjoy that stuff. Buried treasure. Contrary to popular belief, they didn't do that, uh, it, with, with one exception. William the Kid, who is not, I should point out, the same guy as Billy the Kid. need to point that out. William Kid did bury, supposedly, some treasure on Long Island, New York, of all places. Uh, it was kind of a bargaining chip for his relationships with England, because he had letters of Mark that kind of gave him permission, but at the same point, they would kind of retract that permission, say, never mind, you're not legal, you're a pirate. Uh, He was executed on May 23rd in the year 1701. Uh, However, the tale of buried treasure and pirates is just part of the story, even though it didn't happen. It's just part of the story. But biblically, buried treasure is something that goes back a long way. Uh, Jesus talks about buried treasure in Matthew chapter 25, but, but like William Kidd, the buried treasure didn't save him. His bargaining chip in Long Island didn't work for William Kidd. And buried treasure, Jesus is very clear, doesn't save us. Matthew chapter 25, and starting with verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once, and he put his money to work and gained five more. And so also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents, and see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. And give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. And throw that worthless service outside, servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are some lessons to be learned here. And the first is the lesson of, of trusting the master. This parable can be a bit confusing to us. What What kind of man is this master in this parable? Now, in the Luke version, Jesus, uh, the Luke account, Jesus specifies a comparison to Herod. Um, We know that Israel was a conquered nation back then, that the Romans ruled most of the world, the known world at that time. And, And specifically, Herod was an Edomite. He was from Edom one of Israel's enemy, and Herod had literally gone to Rome and said to Caesar, you should make me governor of Israel. Needless to say, the Israelites didn't like that. They would have wanted one of their own people as governor, not one of their enemies in Edomite. And Rome did that. And so Herod wasn't Roman and he wasn't Jewish. He had gone to Caesar to make himself king. And Jesus kind of points that out in in Luke. Uh, this, this cruel master, harsh master, has a little bit of Herod in him. The master left to make himself king despite the fact that the people didn't want him, and Luke points that out. It seems harsh that Christ would use this analogy of a ruthless despot. But, let's make a couple of things clear. Hell is harsh. Pretending or rewriting our faith so that there is no hell is not accurate. It's not, it's not honest. Uh, it doesn't, and it wouldn't make it go away. There are people that want to downplay uh, the idea that, that those who reject Christ, they, they want to downplay that that, that, that that is hell, right? Now let's call it for what it is. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Or this book is a lie, because Jesus says that. So hell may be harsh, but pretending it isn't there doesn't make it go away. God is not mean or unfair. Hell is the ultimate expression of God's love 
and his fairness. If, the example I gave with, with my class this morning, um, if, uh, if one of the high school kids, if their parents were out of town on vacation and they needed to stick in town for some reason and maybe, maybe made an arrangement with me and said, hey, can, can, my, can my kids stay with you guys for a week? Yes, maybe, if, if we arrange that, but they will follow my rules, right? It's, it's, it's my house. Heaven is God's house, and heaven is where God is king for eternity. And people that don't like following God right now on earth will hate heaven, hate heaven. So hell is where you get to go if you don't want to follow God forever. God loves us so much that even though he wants us to live with him forever, he doesn't make us. He wants us to live, but he's in charge. And if we don't want him to be in charge, he gives us another option. Because he loves us, he gives us that that choice. God is a loving God. He sent Christ to die, we remember this on Easter, so that we could avoid the penalty of hell. So many people reject God's love because they want to do it their way. They want to live their own way, and they can do that for, for, for now. I mean, in some ways, they can do that for eternity. They don't have to live God's way. In the same way that kids don't get to dictate to parents, at least they shouldn't, uh, how they will live. Um, we don't dictate to God. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, when I was in kindergarten, uh, I got into an argument with my parents about not wanting to do things their way. And they made it very clear it's our way or the sidewalk. And I made the mistake of choosing the sidewalk. And they took me up on that. <laughs> Packed my bags, threw me out of the house. I didn't go very far. Uh, I learned my lesson their way. Because I'm, I'm the kid. I, I had a friend back in Illinois that said, I don't want to make my kids go to church on Sunday. They might grow up and hate church. I said, I assume you let your kids stay home from school and you don't make them eat vegetables. Kids make poor choices. They shouldn't be left in charge of, of their own destiny. The parents are in charge for a reason because my kid would eat candy all day. She would stay up too late. She would not go to school the next day. That's just normal kids. God, the creator of the universe, knows so much more about everything than I will ever know. I'm okay with him being in charge. Some people in their immaturity don't want God in charge. And God, God doesn't force us to follow him. The, the servant in this parable focused on the hardness of his master, harvesting where he did not so gathering where har, har, harvesting and gathering where, where he didn't deserve to. Um, we don't know if that's actually true. The, we, there's no indication that the, sir, that the master did that. The master's response is, well, if you think that, then you should have behaved in a certain way. The master never confirms that. It, it, it doesn't matter for the sake of the, of the parable. The point is that if the servant knew that the master was that harsh, the servant should have invested the money wisely. What comes across to me when I read this passage is that the servant didn't trust his master. Very simple. I think, that, I think that lots of Christians struggle with this. I think that lots of people that call themselves Christian, lots of people that go to church, struggle with fully trusting God. I think, I think they neither know him nor like him. I, they barely know him. And what they do know, they don't like. Now, they're afraid of hell. They, they have just enough knowledge of faith in the universe 
that they believe that there is a hell, and so Sunday mornings they trudge to church, probably not every Sunday, maybe only a couple times a year, trudge to church because they think that the alternative is worse. They don't get involved, like the servant who has nothing to show for what was entrusted to him. With his talent, he did nothing. He produced nothing. It, the master could have buried his own talent in the ground or given it to one of the faithful servants or put it in the bank. He expected the servant to do at least that much. This servant didn't lose it, but he didn't gain anything from it. The tragedy is that he simply didn't trust his master's goodness directed to him. And it is this lack of faith in his master that proves his undoing in his end. So, we talk about this parable, but there's a deeper application to this. And I want to flip back to near the beginning of the Old Testament. I want to look at at, at Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. And, And the point being, when we talk about God investing in us, there's a reason that he invests in us. Exodus 19 verse 3 you know, the, Israel's beginning history. We're, we're at Mount Sinai. God is getting ready to give Israel his rules for his, his, his nation. This is the beginning of Israel. And here's how he starts it out. Verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God valued Israel more than they were worth, but God said, if, if you agree, if, if, if you follow me, you are my treasure. Why did God do all those things for Israel when, quite frankly, they didn't do a great job following him? Well, he had decided they were his treasure. His people were his treasure. God was a loving master to Israel. He treasured them. I don't know that they always trusted him. In fact, I think the story of the Old Testament shows them repeatedly not trusting him, but God treasured Israel. And so we go back to that parable in Matthew. And we look at that again, and we say not only did that servant have a problem trusting his master, that servant had a problem in serving his master and being that servant. So I was a a locksmith in Illinois, uh, in Urbana, Illinois, and in Springfield, Illinois. When I was a locksmith in Urbana, um, my my bosses, Rick and Mary, wonderful people, the next city over, Decatur. And when we say cities, you have to understand that uh, I, I will refer to Urbana as a town, Champaign-Urbana as a town, because we had Chicago with millions. And so, you know, Champaign-Urbana, 150,000 people, it's a town compared to Chicago. Decatur was about half that size at 70,000. Decatur, one of the locksmiths in Decatur was going out of business. And Rick and Mary thought, well, maybe we can purchase that business and have... Turn it into kind of a chain and have a locksmith in in Decatur, and there was some con- there was some conversation about moving me to Decatur to be the to be the manager of of that shop. Um, I'll be honest; I'm glad that did, 
didn't happen at the end of the day, I don't think I would have had the business sense to try to run that on their behalf. But I, I, I appreciated that. So, so imagine, one of my favorite jokes as a locksmith, we would have customers come in and say, do you cut keys? Which was always my favorite. That was like, to me, that was always like going to McDonald's and saying, do you guys make hamburgers? Um, we had a pegboard behind, behind the counter that had 2,000 different key blanks on it. And I would love that people would come in and say, do you guys cut keys? And w- one day, one of the guys I worked with, Kelly, said, oh, no, ma'am, we don't do that. I'd have to restock this pegboard if we did. And that, before Kelly got to even, even start laughing at his own joke, this person turned and left. Um, so it, <laughs> he felt bad. So if my bosses, and, I, and stocking the, the pegboard was never fun. Um, if my bosses sent me to Decatur and said, here's this store for you to run, can you imagine if I didn't open that door, the doors? Because I would have to restock the key, the keyboard. Imagine if if we opened a locksmith shop and we didn't cut keys because we would have to stock the keyboard. And imagine if we uh, if if we didn't do anything so that we didn't lose resources. I mean that just doesn't make any sense, right? The purpose of a business, the purpose of a restaurant is to sell the food. The purpose of a business is to provide the goods. Uh, I. Not opening the door may be no risks of losing things, but you cannot have a business if you're not providing something that you lose. I would have kept everything as, 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 as pristine as when they bought it and cleaned up the store, but they, they wouldn't be pleased with me. Sandwiched in between, the, the, this parable, context is everything in the New Testament. Uh, the writers, the reason that Matthew and Mark and Luke or John are all very different Gospels in some ways is that the writers use the phrasing and the narrative and the placement of the passages to try to get certain points across. And so we look at this passage where this, this parable of the talents is, and it's between uh, the parable of the, of, of the ten virgins, five of whom brought enough oil to get them through the wedding, and five who didn't. Uh, and and the following passage is on Jesus separating the, sheets, the sheep from the goats. And so what we have in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 25, is all of these parables have to do with salvation. Um, we, don't, we don't like to think of it as a salvation passage. What this mean, well, the way we usually take this is if, if God gave you a singing voice, you should use it for the church. Whatever your talent, and it is where we get the word talent, whatever you're good at, you should use that for God because God gave you those gifts. And I get that. that that's, the traditional, that's the traditional way that we take it. However, I think that it means a whole lot more than that. It, it, it means living a life of righteousness. This man avoids losing money, but he doesn't invest it either. He doesn't use it at all. Like the unmerciful servant that we looked at a few weeks ago, he doesn't do the right thing and the response is that he is thrown out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is about salvation, or that ending to the parable wouldn't be there. The point is not just to avoid sin. You know, people will tell me, well, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I don't rob banks. I don't kill people. That doesn't do it, does it? That's most of the world. Uh, we have to grow past that and learn it's not just not doing wrong. It's being Christ-like, which is doing the right thing. Attending church, attending church even on Easter, is not Christianity. It's not the faith. It's not what we're called to. Following Jesus means ministry and evangelism and service. 
The guy that buries his talent is like the one that buries their faith. You can't be an undercover Christian. Like the virgins who squandered their oil. Like the goats when Jesus separates them and the goats say, Jesus, didn't we do all these things and, and call ourselves Christians? This is about not hiding your faith. This is about proclaiming Christ and, and, and doing what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus isn't sitting in a pew listening to a sermon. Uh, this is, as I said, this is where we get the phrase the, uh, talent. But, but back then a talent was, was a coin. It was an amount of money. It was a weight that, that was worth a lot of money. It was worth thousands of dollars. You know, in a day with a bad economy, we could misapply this very easily. We could, we could compare this to, you know, when, when we talk about the guy that made, took five and made ten and the, person, the guy that took two and made four, we can talk about, you know, playing the stock market. And in, a, in the days of a bad economy when the stock market is a little teetery, that may, that, that's a, probably a bad example. Um, there, was no, there was no doubt that this man was expected to invest in a way that the investment would return. Um, we don't have, you know, th- this is more like the guy that when you read about those people that have lots of money and they don't even put it in the bank, they, they put a hole in their wall and they stuff their walls with it and then they die from frostbite in the winter and they didn't have to. That's more what this is analogous to. Analogous to. We, we don't have to worry that we invest our faith that we'll lose it. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, that that would be like saying, I don't want to get a job because my boss might forget to pay me. The point is like that light under the bowl. Jesus says nobody puts a, lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl. Because if you do that, we know what will happen. Lack of oxygen will kill the, the flame. Fire without fuel starves. Christians without ministry starve. We were made to minister, every one of us. It's not just pre- The only ministry isn't preaching. Whether it's serving at Common Ground and in, and, in, and in soup kitchens, whether it's helping on Wednesday night with our youth, you were, there are so many ministries. You were made to minister and serve on behalf of God to a world that need, needs to be ministered to. The point of the church is to shine. Oh, we can't do that under, under a bowl. We would fail. The bigger the fire, the more it grows. It's, it's, it's a cycle that fuels itself. Those who seek spiritual gain, like the one in the parable, the guy that had five, gained ten. Those who seek spiritual gain will gain more. And those who don't seek spiritual gain will lose even what they have. We see this in churches all the time. Growing churches grow bigger. One of our Bible college professors had the very apt phrase, big churches are big churches because they're big churches. It may sound trite, but it is a really true statement. The point being, churches are often the size they deserve to be. Churches that are successful in ministry are going to continue to grow. Churches that are unsuccessful in ministry are going to shrink, and what they have they will even lose. and, And again, the church is not the building, it's us. We are the church. Dying churches die. They're, they're, you're either dying or you're growing. There's really, they're, they're, if you're breaking even, you're dying. Because it's not the purpose of the church to break even. 
Some churches have lots of people. Yeah, they can do lots of ministries that little churches can't do, but the little churches have to be faithful with what God gave them or they will starve. The U.S. is full of dying churches, churches that don't want to grow. They're selfish. They want to bury their talent. They, they don't like change. They don't like seeing new people in a church. It scares them. They like, to be, they like to be able to call the shots and know who everybody is. What I get from this parable is that God, th- this servant doesn't please the master. It's not his goal. You know, master, look, I broke even. I didn't lose anything. I didn't gain anything. And here's what I started with. And the master throws him out for that. He was called to put the talent to use, to take that risk. And so I want to, we looked at Exodus in the beginning of Israel. I want to look at Malachi chapter 3 and look at kind of how the Old Testament ends. Malachi chapter 3 verse 16 Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. The Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. Those who serve God are his treasure. That language doesn't change, does it? From the beginning of Israel in Exodus 19 to the end of the Old Testament, Israel did a bad job serving God. I mean, the whole captivities with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they didn't do a good job serving him, but that God still says, if you're following me, you are my treasure. I have chosen to treasure you beyond your worth. And so in looking at that passage, that parable in Matthew, there's one final lesson I see from that servant. That servant failed to expect his master, to anticipate his return. He wasted his time. He lived in fear. The other two servants got busy. They expected their master's return. They didn't know when he was returning, but they respected their master's return. Now, I am not a millennial sensationalist, and by that, uh, what I mean is, there are, there are Christians around the country that tell me all the time that we're living in the last days. And I don't, by, by their definition, I don't know that that's true. The Bible says, back in 1 John, that we are living in the last days. We've been there for 2,000 years. I will say that these last two years have been kind of rough. And I might have been looking at Revelation and a few of the signs a little bit more. However, I, don't want, I still don't want to fall into a sensationalism because for 2,000 years there have been false prophets who've said these are the last days and... What they meant is that you know, the second coming of Christ is any day now, and, and he hasn't come yet, the second coming. Uh, he may be coming later this afternoon. Praise God if he does. I would love that. He may not be coming for another 2,000 years. We, we, we don't know. And, and, and so knowing that, do I live like he's coming later this afternoon? Do I live as these are the last days? You know, I, and let me say, for those of you that get into the, the sensationalism of these are the days of revelation and the end times, that may be a bit of a disappointment. It might, be to, it might be today. You can live in that level of excitement to some extent, but you've got to be prepared that you might be wrong as well. Nobody knows the Bible says the day or the hour, but this much I know, we are 2,000 years closer. We, whatever that, whatever that, whenever that second coming of Christ is, we're, we're closer to it than we were yesterday. 
and it could be later today, could be later this week. In, in Luke 19, uh, uh, where we see this passage again, in Luke 19, where we see this passage again, what we see is, oh goodness, come on back in everybody, I'm not We'll pause for a minute. Is that every? In Luke 19, the context that Jesus gives this parable in, the way that Luke presents it is in a context of, of the final days. Uh, or of, of the end times, uh, what we would say that, the second coming of Christ. Uh, it, it's, it's a reference to the imminent coming of the kingdom of God. And I think that that's part of Jesus' point. Be ready for the master's return whenever that is. Would you live differently if you knew that Christ was coming back later this afternoon? Would you, is there anybody you would share Christ with one more time? Then you should do that anyway. Uh, is there any last-minute Bible readings that you would want to squeeze in? Then you should do that anyway. Maybe, maybe some people haven't accepted Christ as Savior, and they've been putting it off. Then you need to do that anyway. So many people say, I will serve Christ when the kids are, are gone, when I've retired. That's a terrible way to live. Don't put it off. The master could return any minute. Don't waste the time that you have. Time, I think time is, is the greatest gift that God has given us. It's far greater than, than money. It's greater than, than other resources. Time is precious. Don't waste it. Let us use the time that God has given us while we have it. Which means, also let me point out, don't stop. There's no retiring from being a Christian. Ministries change as we get older. Things that maybe we could do when we were younger, we, we can't do and over. But, but the number of people that have said, oh, I served the church, I, 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 I did my share, I'm done. That's just not biblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says that you get to retire from the church. Our, our, the nature of our ministry changes, certainly due to health and other things, but we're always still ministers. We're called to do that. We don't retire from Christianity or ministry. Let's be found actively serving our Lord in ministry until the day that Christ returns. And so, I want to look at one other, I want to close with one other passage. Um, You know, we've looked at those two passages from uh, Exodus and Malachi on how God treasures Israel. Does that apply to us? Well, let me look at first, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. I'm not the only one that needs my reading lenses. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God. 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, it's not just Israel, is it? In fact, if anything, uh, 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 Israel was the prototype of the church. Israel was the people of God in the Old Testament, but then God expanded that. And any who accept Jesus Christ, uh, who, who are baptized into his name, who choose to follow him with their life because it's a choice, they are invited uh, to be Christians, to follow him. This is why Jesus died. This is what we celebrate at Easter, is that we needed saving. Jesus offered us salvation. Jesus treasures us. He treasures us so much. God treasures us so much that God sent Jesus, who also treasured us, who died on the cross for us, because we are his treasure. And, and he has invested in us. And we, in turn, invest what he has given us back into the gospel, into sharing that message. Easter is when we celebrate that we are his treasure, not buried, redeemed. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 320. God values you so much. I pray that you value him. No, we'll never value, we'll never value him or love him as much as he loves and values us. But that's my goal is to try. I want to learn to love him more. I want to learn to value him even more. And I pray that for you as well. We don't show our value by burying our faith, but we live it out as Jesus lived it out for us. If you haven't accepted Christ as Savior, we don't know what tomorrow brings, I invite you to do that. Let's have a conversation. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.